You are listening to the acclaimed Professional by Choice podcast that is going to prepare you for the competitive professional world. Just like any sport, being a professional takes time, effort, practice, and commitment. With rigorous training and focus, you will know what it takes to be a professional. And now presenting your host, hailing from East Chicago, Indiana, the man, the Marine, the legend, the all-knowing master of the professional routine, Chris Molina. On today's podcast, we have Samantha Burmeister. And Samantha is a nine-to-five nomad, and I love that title, nine-to-five nomad. Or said another way, she's a full-time traveler and working professional. And through her blog, her YouTube channel, and her online course, uh, Samantha teaches and tells stories that help other people travel as well. Her aim is to make the world a little smaller, a little happier, and a little more inclusive. Sam, welcome to the PBC Podcast. Thank you so much, Chris. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. And before we get into uh, our topic today, which is traveling and a few other things, I just want to know, how are you doing today? I am fantastic. I am currently in sunny Tagazut, Morocco. It's about 6 p.m., 6.15 p.m. I spent my day surfing, so I'm sun-kissed and happy about it. That is awesome. And we are uh, uh, mutual Instagram friends and followers. And I got to say, because it's about 20 degrees over here and it's snowing, I think, <laughs> I think I saw in one of your stories that it was 60 degrees and you said it's too cold here for that. And I'm, I'm a bit offended. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I was surfing, so you know it was it was a little chilly. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, traveling professional, what does that mean? If uh, if the listeners hear that title, traveling professional, what what does that exactly mean? What do you do? Yeah, so I mean, for the kids at home, um, go ahead and Google something along the lines of digital nomad or full time traveling while working, and you'll see a bunch of pictures of people who are doing exactly what I'm doing, which is working from wherever it is that I want to be this month. Um, I have a passion for traveling and I realized that I was just working my corporate job to be able to pay to travel. So I decided to marry the fact that I do work. I mean, everybody has to work, right? We need money. Um, But I married the idea of traveling uh, I guess I detached it from the idea of tourism and sure. became a full-time traveler. Yeah, it's not it's not a thing that you do in your off time. It's something that uh, right. is a part of your life. Yeah, yeah. Like I couldn't tell you the last time I took a vacation, but I've been traveling nonstop for a while. <laughs> and so to give the listeners a little bit more of a, a foundational understanding. So what is it that you actually do for work? Yeah, I'm a freelance writer and an online educator. So I have created a career for myself, freelance writing, uh, specifically in the personal finance space, which is not something that I have a degree in. Mm -hmm. Uh, My degrees from Iowa State University were in marketing, international business, and a concentration in French. Mm -hmm. And over time, I realized that I was really passionate about personal finance. I did an internship for a large insurance company in college, realized that that wasn't for me, but that especially with how much I was traveling and what my travel goals were, that I was talking about money a lot and that I really enjoyed that conversation. So a lot of it has been personal finance and travel focused as far as my freelance writing career. And then from online educating, I have a course where I teach other working women how they can achieve their travel dreams. It's amazing. I know that full-time travel isn't for everyone, but simply opening the dialogue and 
helping women access the world in a more sustainable, positive way uh, has been really empowering for me and for other people. That's got to be pretty fulfilling, I'd say. That second yeah. part. Yeah. Oh, no, 100%. I uh, never worry about you know Monday morning, that's for sure. <laughs> and so I think the concept of being a freelance anything is very interesting. So, so what would you say have been maybe your top two favorite freelance projects that you've ever done? Um, well, <laughs> for freelance projects, like I, companies come to me and they ask me to write about things that are um, not right up my alley, we'll okay. say. You know, I never <laughs> hate them. But then people come to me and say, can you write something about how to... Uh, use your PTO in the most advantageous way. And I was like, oh my gosh, absolutely. Because that means I can marry finance and traveling. Like, that's awesome. <laughs> so yeah, I'll get like big ongoing projects where, you know, people ask me to do a series and I don't even have to do the research behind it because it's, they're asking me to write about my lifestyle and my lifestyle has become my work and my work has become my lifestyle. And that's, uh, it's kind of like when you're cutting wrapping paper and you just like hit it and it like slides. Like that's what oh, life yeah. feels like when those projects happen. And when so it just... doesn't catch like five times. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's, <laughs> that's the best feeling when I'm in a workflow like that. <laughs> so going from the good parts of freelance, uh, what would you say is one of the most difficult parts about being a, a freelancer? Yeah. So I came from a corporate background right after college. I did do the whole corporate thing for about five years. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really hard transitioning off of that and feeling um, feeling successful is how I would call it. Because when I work for myself, I have to give myself permission to be successful. Sure. And although it was absolutely exhausting working by other people's key performance indicators or KPIs, mm-hmm. and that was really what ultimately drove me away from corporate was working my butt off for somebody else's definition of success. Sure. It was still a bit of a shock coming to work on my own and not knowing when to stop. Uh, So that was a really big challenge right out of the gate. And so what's maybe a small tip that you can give to other people that either are looking to make that transition or maybe they do something in their off time and they don't get that sense of fulfillment? Is it as easy and simple as making sure that you have a checklist so that you can check things off? Or, or <laughs> do you give yourself your own KPIs? Like what are what's a few things that you do? Yeah, yeah. So I'm so glad that you said that because that was the first thing that came to mind is I used <laughs> to have this big... Uh, dry erase board on my desk when I was still working from my apartment because I quit my job in the middle of a lease. So I stuck around and was working from where I was living. Um, And I had a big dry erase board. And so I would have this whole list of things that I would write the night before. And it's like, man, I'm going to feel so successful tomorrow because I know (laughs) that if I put it on a calendar or in a list, like I'm going to get all these things done. Mm -hmm. But what I was doing is I was erasing them as I was finishing them. Mm -hmm. And then that made space for me to add more things. So then, (laughs) you know, I would go for a run over lunch or do these things that I can totally do because I was working for myself and it didn't matter if I was in sweatpants in the afternoon, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And then I would come back to my list and I would look at it at the end of the day and not even have to write the next day's list because it was already written and I felt so unaccomplished sure <laughs> and, and then I would think back a couple of days later to all the things that I had done since Monday and it was as easy for me 
as changing my list from being on a dry erase board to putting it on paper. Hmm. And then I would see all of the things that I had accomplished and look at it and tell myself, wow, good job, girl. Like, sure. look at all those things you just did. <laughs> That's all. It's interesting how something so simple can, can be such a, such a big game changer for yourself. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Huge. And I think to pontificate on that a little bit, I had to make sure that what I was doing was what I would have called it my corporate job, a revenue generating activity. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like, good job, you put away your laundry. It's like, <laughs> no, you reached out to five prospective clients or something like that. It sure. had to be you know, like real, real things. And then having that as evidence when I did decide to hire a business coach mm-hmm. um, was really great proof of saying, sometimes we get, oh, I forget the word for it. It's similar to analysis paralysis though, where sure. you know, you do all of these things to feel busy and look busy and check a lot of things off of the checklist, but really you're avoiding the things that need to be done or that are hard sure. to do. Yep. Um, so yeah, having a really great checklist, but the great part is as flexible as you make it and having that personal accountability was also a challenge. Sure. That makes a lot of sense. Going back to travel, because that's a main part of, uh, of what we want to talk about today and just your lifestyle. Why? Why do you travel so much? Oh, gosh. Um, I travel because, it, as you said in your intro, it makes the world a better, smaller, more inclusive place to be. When we don't see the world beyond our own back doors, which, I mean, I went to school in a small town in Iowa, mm-hmm. uh, both high school and college. Um, and it can be, while it's a beautiful place to have grown up and gone to school, isolating. It can be isolating. Sure. Um, and when we are able to come to an understanding, well, we as people can connect, I guess, and come to an understanding, even if we're not speaking the same language sure. or doing the same things or working towards the same goals, we can understand each other better. And that is what ends up making the world a better place is not making other people do what we're doing, but understanding mm-hmm. what they're doing and being able to advocate for other people and bring that home and teach other people like, that's what's going to solve, you know, sure. <laughs> all the world's problems. Sure. Uh, and so and being out there and having those conversations really just, it makes me happy. Yeah. I don't, I, I definitely don't want to cut you off on your uh, stream of thought right there because I think it's important, but for the listeners, what, what example pops into your mind or, or examples pop into your mind when you say that, what about traveling actually makes the world more inclusive for you? Yeah. So, I mean, I'll dig right into it. You know, in the U S we have real issues with border security and racism. And those issues are malleable depending on the person that you're talking to. But at the end of the day, people are people. So let's say, I mean, the thing that I saw in the news earlier this week was that people are being deported back to El Salvador and then being systematically killed by the gangs that they were escaping in the first place by migrating out of their home country. So I've been to El Salvador and it was beautiful. I went hiking. I went surfing. Like I no longer watch the news and wonder about the gangs that the people that I'm seeing on the news are a part of. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm thinking about who these people are as people. And when we meet people from outside of the country in our home country or while traveling, that is really where those connections are happening that changes our perspective. So people are not their governments. People are just that. They're people. Sure. They're, they're individuals with passions and 
who are looking out for themselves and it's it's really beautiful to encounter people from everywhere all over the place and you know that is something that i don't think i've ever tried to put or into words or articulate is the the learning about other cultures that I got in the Marine Corps. So I was in the Marine Corps for seven years, active duty, got to travel to a bunch of different countries. And I even did some government contract after I got out. Mm-hmm. And it, it that is such a frustrating thing, um, at least when I was in, because I don't think that you could be a good service member if you're not solely focused on being a good soldier, a good Marine, a good airman, a good sailor, a good Coast Guardsman. Like you need to be full in, bought into doing a good job. And Mm -hmm. detach yourself, you try to detach yourself from all of the politics that are happening in the world because we answer to Congress, we answer to the president, and those are civilians and the populace of America elect those people. So we work for the American people. And we try to not tie ourselves to any politics. But it is so easy to go to different cultures and realize that people in general are just good people. And it's frustrating when other countries' governments don't like another country's government. So you get these conflicts started um, either with military or with secretaries of state and, and, and with all these other things. So I, I 100% agree with what you're saying as far as travel goes. But w- when you were saying that, that just popped into my mind. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, yeah, no, you're you're 100% correct, and you've seen it from a completely different standpoint. And for me as a civilian traveling with almost no military connections whatsoever, people probably look at me when I'm in the same exact place as you, mm-hmm. also an American, but if you were dressed you know, in your military fatigues or sure. you know, like clearly identifying with the American government, mm-hmm. people are going to look at me a lot different than they look at you. Sure. But still, you are hopefully, and they are hopefully looking at you like what you are, and that is a person. Sure. Absolutely. And so does that kind of hit on why you think it's important for other people to travel? Because it helps make the world uh, such a more inclusive place? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. And not everybody needs to travel like I do. I spend a month to three, four, five, six months in different places at a time. Mm -hmm. Um, But just to travel outside of the U.S. and, you know, traveling outside of the U.S. means truly experiencing a different culture. And that, again, is the difference between a vacation and traveling. Sure. Is, you know, if you're vacationing to a resort in which everybody speaks English and they accept (laughs) U.S. dollars and whatever, like, just because it's not for me doesn't mean it's a bad thing, sure. but I don't necessarily call that traveling, at least not in my context. So yeah, that's why I do think it's important is because it's going to change your perception of a particular race or culture or something. And then you have that opportunity to take it home, but you learn more traveling in a day than you could from any textbook or or anything. And so that's why it's important is because we owe it to ourselves to expand our minds. Sure. And so one thing that made me happy following you on this journey, because you and I have known each other since, let's see, 2013? Like some, no, 14? 13, yeah, 2013, 2014. Like yeah. So we've, we've known each other for a bit while. And so I've been able to see you on this journey. And one of the counters that you have doesn't just count the countries that you've been in. It also counts the states, right? Yeah. 
And so something that I've always thought of, and I'm curious to get your point of view, is that I've been, and it's frustrating, I've experienced more cultures outside of our borders than I have inside of our borders. And there are so many um, states and parts of America that I haven't touched that I think I'm doing myself a disservice because I have not been to New Orleans. I haven't experienced the culture down there. Um, I have not been to Hawaii. I've not been to Alaska. I haven't been to so many places in America. I haven't experienced the national parks as much as I would want to. I think I've been into maybe one or two. And so do you think that it's important for Americans to also experience the different cultures within America? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, even within their own cities. Like, I think it's said relatively commonly that the average New Yorker has never visited the Statue of Liberty, but like how many Americans have? Like probably vastly more. And to go and experience our own cities, our own country, a hundred percent is important. I mean, think about the area of town that you wouldn't want to live in or something. Like there are different cultures there, which are the reason why you wouldn't want to live there. Um, So there's a million websites out there like meetup.com, couchsurfing.org has meetup opportunities where people can go and experience something different. They might do potlucks or even, I mean, if you're a total bacon lover, go to a (laughs) vegan food festival in your city. Like, Just go see what it's all about. (laughs) When I moved to Florida, I went to a gun show, Uh um, which is something... Florida has its own, I mean, it's got its own meme pages, for goodness sake, right? Florida's um, (laughs) culturally different, just (laughs) as everywhere is. And I moved there and I was like, yeah, I'm totally going to go to a gun show and (laughs) see what like the Deep South is doing with the gun show. And it was was a great, totally new, totally different experience for me. Sure. And I think that exploring more of our own country in America for the American listeners, because there are people in other countries that listen to this podcast, but, and, and this probably applies to their country as well. Experiencing more people in your own country also helps to make your country that much smaller, like you were talking about globally. But I think that's as important as global inclusive you know, inclusivity is, is focusing on our own country because if we can't treat each other properly, then it's mm-hmm. probably the case that we're not going to treat other people outside of our country properly. Yeah, yeah, totally. And like, there's so many opportunities where, you know, for people who love lists or making resolutions or new goals, like say that once a week, you're going to plan to go somewhere that you haven't been before and just do it for a month straight and see what you learn. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, go to the gun show next weekend, go to a Latin dance class that's being hosted by the salsa bar in town, you know, do sure. something different um, and go check it out. Cause you're going to meet people too, from all different cultures. You might learn that there are a bunch of Nigerians living in your city and you had no idea that there was like Nigerian churches and dance festivals and food festivals and all sorts of different things. It's important to understand that you can see the world without having to leave home, especially if that's like not in the budget or something. Absolutely. And so I think we're definitely going to get there talking about traveling while on a budget and a couple other things about your story. But uh, before we get to that, I'm curious because you've mentioned writing a bunch and writing about PTO and getting really excited about that for travel. 
last thing on that and the importance of it, have you found any statistics out there or any studies that show how travel might improve your life, both personally and professionally? Yes. So when, and I don't know like the numbers off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. Um, I have access to it. There's a website called Travel Industry Marketing Association, Travel, I think. And they have a lot of statistics that they link to on their website. But yeah. the productivity levels alone. So if, I think it was like 14 million Americans did not use their PTO last year. And for the most part companies, it's a use it or lose it system. Yeah. Um, So that many people are robbing their companies of their own productivity by working too much. Mm -hmm. You know, that's why they say get up and walk around once an hour. Not only is it good for your hips in a sitting culture, right? Like (laughs) it's good for your productivity. You're going to come back with a fresh look at something. You're just banging your head against the wall if not. And that's a micro example of what could you do if you actually took your three weeks of vacation or five weeks of vacation, whatever you're offered. So from that perspective, yes. Then if you're going off to learn about different cultures, you know, say that you've got a manager who's super closed-minded and you know, rigid and whatnot, and then they go and take a big long break and then he or she comes back and they see things from a new light. They might understand why the young moms that they're managing are so stressed out or they might see why Uh, People wanted to take the Jewish holidays off instead of the Christian holidays that they're given or, you know, they're going to come back and just be more aware of people and possibly, hopefully, even more self-aware in addition to the productivity that they're going to come back with a refreshed mind to give their companies. Sure. And I think for me, it it comes down to, and the first word that pops in my head is maturity. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, It two examples popping in my head and one is very personal. It's uh, going to boot camp and going abroad. So I went to boot camp and then did combat training and then um, some more training. And then my first duty station was in Okinawa, Japan. And I spent two wow, months there. Cool. And I, I'll never forget the uh, first reflecting on it um, years after and noticing the difference in myself, but also hearing from my family and friends, specifically my family talking about just how different I was, how, how more um, outgoing I was, just how much I I had changed. And then I saw the exact same thing when I went to college. So I was in my mid-20s when I started college at Purdue. And I got to see the difference in people that were in my uh, student organization group. So I was part of AKSI. And a lot of my friends that are still close family friends to this day, seeing the difference in them whenever they studied abroad just for like the winter break. So they just went for two weeks to Venezuela or somewhere and mm-hmm. the difference in them maturity wise when they came back was leaps and bounds over the maturity that they had gained throughout an entire semester. So for me, for some reason, that's the word that pops into my mind a lot is, is maturity. Yeah. So what do you think it is, Chris, that catalyzes that change in maturity when either in yourself or when your friends were traveling? So I think it, uh, it, a lot of it has to do with any type of development, any type of growth within you. Whenever you grow or you develop in different ways, then you do broaden the way that your, your mind sees things. And so I know for me, so <laughs> in boot camp, on every Sunday, 
you either go to church or you don't. So you can pick okay. what church you want to go to and they offer everything or you don't. And if you don't, then you're going to be cleaning. You're going to be exercising <laughs> something that you don't want to do. So everybody goes to the church. And, okay. <laughs> um, so I went to a church. Uh, it was a church of Christ and uh, went there and the people that ran the service got to know me somewhat well. And they noticed the difference immediately. They said, whenever we had our crucible. And so the crucible in Marine Corps boot camp is a three day event. You traverse about 50 miles with an 80 pound pack within those three days. You have four hours of sleep total. If that you only get to eat like two meals in those three days, it's very stressful. And that's the breaking point for a lot of uh, recruits at that point in Marine Corps boot camp. And okay. they said that that was the changing point for me. And so I think, yes, it is the development of, of something that makes your brain look at things with a more broad view, but you only get there by going through different and challenging events in your life. So it's either different from what you've normally done or it's challenging in a certain way. And often there's a lot of overlap in those two because mm -hmm. I look at the study abroad folks. Yes, it's not excruciatingly challenging like what I just described in Marine Corps boot camp, but it, it is much different than what they're used to and they have to operate in a different place. So they have to try to experience that culture and then they have to do coursework in a new environment. And so it's different. So that's kind of where I think that comes from. Yeah. Yeah. And to oversimplify it, really what I'm hearing you say is that you grew when outside of your comfort zone and yes. far more than what you would have had you stayed home. hundred percent. hundred percent. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's awesome. I love yeah. it. Then thanks for the question. I, normally, uh, I don't get questions uh, asked of me, which, uh, which, is, which is really nice. <laughs> it's a conversation. <laughs> Absolutely. That, that's what I want this to be. So um, moving on to what I said I wanted to talk about next, which is yeah. uh, more, a little bit more of your life story. So why did you decide to go the corporate route after college instead of traveling full time? Yeah. So for me, it really was a decision. Uh, I think that that's important to note in, in college. And if there are folks who are going through any form of education, like while listening to this is that I wanted with every fiber of my being to go off after college and go travel. Sure. It turns out not independently wealthy. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> but I really still chose to go to work. The other option was to you know, default on my student loans and follow my heart, follow my passion. Uh, honestly, I was going to go to either Peru or Brazil okay. um, and go and try and like figure it out. I've heard you can make money online and that's kind of what I was going to go do. But what I ended up choosing was a middle road. So I had a job offer leaving college mm -hmm. and I was really, really torn up about it. And I didn't want to go. And through talking to some really wise mentors of mine, they said, why are you making this harder than it has to be? And so black and white, why don't you take a gap? And again, for those on the Google machine, go Google gap year. Mm -hmm. um, and it's something that's not really intrinsic to the American education system, whereas most I wouldn't say most, but a lot, a lot, a lot of European students take a gap either uh, after high school, during university or after university, or yep. even take career breaks at different points in their careers. 
so that's what I did. I went off and traveled and then I went to the corporate job that was waiting for me at home. And I made that decision because I wanted to travel long term. I have always known this. I'm 28 now. I graduated college in December of 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always wanted to go travel long term but for me the only way that i could do it and feel good about it was if i were financially stable sure i mean i didn't want to be a broke backpacker and always have it hanging over my head that if and when i came back to the us i would be in massive amounts of debt with a trash credit score that sure. didn't sit well with me so i said i'm going to go work i'm going to work my butt off i'm going to live super cheap i'm going to pay off my debt as fast as i can and then i'm going to go travel long term sure so that's what i did yeah that's i think that's that's very important for people to hear and that you're in a very happy place right now where yes. um you you've you've survived all that and you got to do what you want to do now because yes. um, I think it's important for listeners to hear that for two reasons. The first one has to deal with the American culture that we have right now, the work culture. And this is this message is directed mainly at the responsible individuals because they're the ones that I think don't take a gap year or don't do something that is very valuable for them and, and their happiness and their fulfillment in their life, but they and they don't do it because of the norms of our society right now. So one personal example for me was I took two semesters off when I was at Purdue. And okay. I did that because I, I received a government contract job and it was an amazing opportunity. And this is one of the many ways that I realized I married up. <laughs> <It's> because, <laughs> so I got the job offer and I emailed my wife, Katrina, and I said, oh my gosh, uh, this is amazing. Too bad that I can't do it. And it, the semester had just started. I think I was in my second or third semester at Purdue at that point. And then she responded very shortly. She put, why not? And so I just oh, sat there I and I was like, well, crap. Why can't I? <laughs> and so I ended up doing it. And I think you would love this story. That contract job put me on a naval vessel, the USNS Sacagawea, and I managed, I did supply chain like I did in the the Marine Corps, and I managed all the supplies on board, and I got to sail on that naval vessel from Jacksonville, Florida, through the Gulf of Mexico, through the Panama Canal, and across the entire Pacific Ocean, and we ported at Pearl Harbor, Okinawa, Japan, Saipan, and the Philippines. And I would have never done that. That's incredible. I have goosebumps. That's incredible. (laughs) I don't, I don't think I'm ever going to get that opportunity ever again to, to travel across the entire Pacific Ocean and through the Panama Canal. That was so cool. It's hard to put words to it. <laughs> yeah, the Panama Canal, if, if anybody has the chance to go through the Panama Canal, it's incredible. I've had a drink. There's a bar that overlooks it so that you can watch the uh, boats go up and down. But like, I can't imagine to be able to go through it. And especially with your military background and I'm sure the work that you were doing was relevant there. Like mm-hmm. that would be surreal. Dude, and I got, to, I got paid to do that as well, but I bring that up, not just because I think it's really cool, but because I would have never done it if I would have listened to the conventional advice of the people that tried to give me advice whenever that offer came to my doorstep. And that was yeah. 
well, you know what, whenever students leave college, they generally don't come back. And so it's really difficult. And it's really important that you make sure that you finish your degree. And it was very negative as far as taking two semesters off. And, well, and yeah. I really want to shine a light on the fact that you started college in your mid 20s and people were still pushing you to finish school in a certain amount of time. Like, mm -hmm. it does not matter. We are going to work until we're, you know, whatever age and whatever capacity we choose to work. But people were still telling you that. And I had so many friends say, oh, I'm not going to study abroad. I can't afford it. I'd have to take out extra loans. I don't want to postpone my grad date, et cetera, et cetera. And those are people who are probably going to graduate at age 22, 23, sure. had a boatload of AP credits from high school, you know, yep. the whole nine yards. And it's like, what the heck is the rush? And while I was in it, I understood, you know, and I, I did put off my grad date. I transferred twice and had two majors and studied abroad once and never once took a summer class and still graduated in nine semesters. Okay. So like, <laughs> I graduated at 23 years old. I was doing just fine. But like, it breaks my heart when people are not taking opportunities that are going to change the trajectories of their lives and careers for the sake of like, what, you know, fitting into the mold of hurry up and get to a corporate job that you're going to sit at until you retire in 40 years. What's the rush? Yeah, exactly. If, if you just delay that for a little while, what is the big deal? And another thing that I like to highlight or I always highlighted to some of my peers at college which happened to be in their, their early 20s and I happened to be in my mid to late 20s at that point was hey look at me if you think that I have any possibility of having a bright future then you can do whatever the heck you want to do right now you can take that leap because I started pretty late compared to you guys and I'm still able to have a pretty happy life and a pretty successful career. So go ahead and pursue whatever the heck you want. Yeah. Yeah. And if you don't have your happiness and you don't have your health, you don't have anything. Absolutely. 100%. So I think that's a good transition because I think some of the stress that a lot of people have whenever they're thinking about making the safe choice has to do with their debt. So can mm -hmm. you talk a little bit about that paying off? We've known each other for a while, but I'm not in tune with exactly what your finances were coming out of college, but I assume <laughs> that you, you were paying off some amounts of debt um, and you were still traveling during that time. So yeah. do you have any advice for the listeners that want to pay off some debt and, and maybe want to try to balance some travel while doing that? Yeah, for sure. So I'll, I'll paint a picture of the situation. I'm super transparent about it on my blog at 9to5nomad.co. Um, I have several articles listing, not down to the penny because I didn't keep track down to the penny. Um, sure. I always say I'm the world's best, worst budgeter. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, um, I never adhered to any specific programs or budgets. I've never actually even written out a budget, but I'll tell you how I did it. So sure. graduated from Iowa state with like, it was like 36 grand in federal student loans and they take out like one or two every semester between subsidized and unsubsidized. So I don't even know how many loans I had under the like Great Lakes bubble. Um, first piece of advice to folks is like understand that and don't take out the maximum amount every semester. 
I like did take out the maximum amount and then used it to pay off debt while in school because I thought that it would build my credit score. I'm not even 100% sure if that's true. So like, don't, <laughs> like point being like understand how much you're taking out and what the implications of that are down the road. And I know people who don't even know how to log into their student loans. They're just oh, making automatic payments to this day and it'll take 10 years. And again, that's just another status quo thing that people follow. So like, even if you just log into the system, know how to log in and understand like what it means, mm -hmm. you're miles ahead of other people. So sure. I had like 36 ish in student loans. And then I had taken out another 5k through Sally May to study abroad two semesters before I graduated. Mm -hmm. So in less than a year, that 5k had turned into 6k. It had appreciated by 20% a year. That's dangerous. <sighs> So I okay. used my signing bonus to get rid of that pretty quickly mm -hmm. at my new job. I, I was fortunate enough to have a signing bonus. So I think I got rid of like that 5K and then spent every cent that I could and like found money and savings to get rid of it because I realized how fast it grew. Sure. And then I didn't have a car because I had sold it when I left school. It was like a hunk of junk, $1,200, 15-year-old <laughs> Mitsubishi Gallant that I didn't even need to use the heating in it in the winters in Iowa because it ran so hot. Like <laughs> It was not safe to drive, but it's fine. So I sold it for a plane ticket to Brazil for my gap year. So gotcha. I got back and I had 40K in student loans and then I had to buy a car um, and that was 13 grand by the time I ended up paying it off. It was 16 grand. So, okay. and then there's all the interest and whatnot, wherever else. So I had between 50 and 60 grand to pay off, uh, once it was all said and done with interest and this, that, the other. So that's a small uh, house in some places. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it totally is. I'm from Davenport, Iowa. You could buy a house for that in some like, and spread some sizes, but yeah, so that was my situation. I graduated and I got a job working in South County, Rhode Island for 36K base, but it was a sales job and that was really attractive to me because mm -hmm. I knew in my mind that I could live off of my base salary and I told myself every single part of every one of my bonuses is going to go towards debt mm -hmm. and I'm going to promote and I'm going to be amazing and there was a real, really clear path to promotion with that role, which is another reason that I took it. So. I started off that way where I got monthly bonuses. They were anywhere from like a hundred bucks to 800 bucks. Sometimes like it was, it was a good chunk of change, sure. but I was diligent that not only was I making the minimum payments on everything all the time, but all of my bonuses were going towards that number. So I yep. think my auto loan was like $200 a month and my student loans were like somewhere in the three to three fifty range. Quick question. Um, because yeah. I think that might be difficult for some. They might say, all right, any bonus, or they, they might have a percentage of their base salary if they don't have commission. They say, all right, this yeah. is going to go to my student loans and I'm always going to put this extra to it. And then they start doing other things with that money. Was there any way that you got around that or was that even an issue with you? Yeah, so I always... I say that they were ballpark that because I know that I was also overpaying every month on them to mm -hmm. the nearest 50. And then whenever I took a raise, I increased the base amount that I was paying on those. Okay. And then what I did with my regular money that I was like living off of is if I had any money, so I, I put everything on credit cards because I travel hack, which means that I 
put all of my things on credit cards and pay them off in full every month. Never mm -hmm. carry a balance. It's a lie. If you think that carrying a balance helps your credit score, it does <laughs> not. So I paid them off in full every month. And then whatever I had left after I made the, my final rent and credit card payment, I also put that towards my student loans and yep. auto loans. So any extra money that I had was going towards that balance. So you were and that's kind of also how I budgeted. Yeah. Disciplined and, and remembering what to do and, and not using that money for something else. Yeah. Yes. But then something else comes along, right? Like sure. new tires or I'm working, I'm making a whole bunch of money. All my friends are going to yacht week in Croatia. I want to go too. Yep. Right. Like either a life happens or B. I mean, I was living across the country from my family. So that's where credit card hacking came in. To play where I was using points for a lot of that, but gotcha. there's still money involved. So I had a financial advisor at the time who said, while this is all great, like you're 23 and kind of miserable. And the first time I met you six months ago, when you were green at this, you were like fun. So um, maybe <laughs> go back to being fun. And he encouraged me to put a percentage of my bonuses towards my debt and a percentage towards myself. And that really changed the way that I saw money at the time. Sure. So even at the end of the month, instead of like going back to ground zero, they call it a $0 budget in some circles. Um, instead of going to zero, I would take 40% of what was left either from a bonus or at the end of the month and put that into the savings account. And then I would put 60% towards my debt. Gotcha. And that was a more comfortable number to say, okay, so if I'm getting $1,000 every two months for a bonus, suddenly then I have $800 every couple of months that I can do something with. And mm -hmm. I could buy a round trip ticket to somewhere or buy a GoPro to use while I was traveling and make videos or invest in my travel blog that I wanted to eventually make a business. So I was being a lot more kind to myself once I kind of shifted my relationship with money, but I was still making massive extra payments on my debt every month. Sure. And so two questions. Number one, so do you think it's, an, it's important for some people and obviously... Uh, one person's journey is not the same as everybody's, but is it important to find that decent paying job so that you can pay off debt directly after college so that you can do whatever it is you want to do, whether it's travel or not afterwards? And then number two, did you always have that, that carrot in front of uh, your <laughs> face as far as, all right, in X amount of years, when I do have this paid off, then I can do whatever I want? Yes. So my original plan was to work for five to seven years. And I thought I could pay off my debt in five to seven years. Mm -hmm. um, because when I first looked at it and I was like, okay, if I divide this by, I don't know, however many months are in 60 months sure. in five years, like, oh my gosh, I could never be making these 800, $1,200 payments every month. But then yeah. I would like get a tax return and I was thinking of it in like, if I make an extra $300 payment this month, then that brings in that end date by a whole month. Mm, and okay. then, you know, I'd get a tax return and be like $2,000. I was like, oh my gosh, that brought it in another eight months. Now if I divide it out again, and that like number kept getting smaller and I was sure. kind of obsessive and playing with that in my mind. But I always had that carrot that when I pay off my debt in five to seven years, I will still be under 30. I will like, 
still be able to go travel because I also know that travel is not as expensive when you're not staying in $200 a night all inclusives. Sure. You know, where I'm staying right now, I'm paying $700 a month in rent. It includes my office space, all utilities. I'm two blocks from the beach, but I'm also not choosing to live at a ski resort in Switzerland. So, you know, it's it's all personal preference. Um, So I always had that carrot of, when I pay off my debt, I'm going to go travel. And then I paid off my debt after three years. It was three years to the day that I graduated that I had absolutely everything paid off. Good question. How did that feel? (laughs) <laughs> less climactic than I thought. I was at my <laughs> desk and I like, you know, cause we're not out writing checks anymore. And I had made so many additional payments, like probably well over a hundred additional one-time payments in that sure. system online that it was like just another thing. And, uh, I had gotten my Q2, Q1, Q2 bonus, something hit my bank account. And I was like, okay, I'm actually going to dip into savings a little bit and make like my last three grand. Like I realized I graduated exactly three years previous. Yeah. I was like, man, this would be really symbolic to do this today. And I like moved things from my savings to my checking and I paid it off. And I was like sitting at my desk and I like, threw my hands up. And I was like, yes, I just became debt free. And like nobody did anything. There weren't fireworks <laughs> or... Yeah, nothing happened. <laughs> I just suddenly had like very little money in my savings account. <laughs> so for me, it felt really good. And it was like 1030 in the morning. I got up and like walked around the office feeling like a million bucks. And then I had to like get on a call. For- <laughs> <laughs> had to be an adult. <laughs> so I mean, I wish I had like a great response to you that like, oh my gosh, it felt amazing. Like everything was lifted off my chest. But then it kind of became a now what? Because I liked my job at the time. Yeah. And that was the next step was I'm debt free. So I'm going to quit my job. Well, why would I? I liked where I was. I had great roommates. I had a great lifestyle. I was living in Florida working for an IT company. Mm -hmm. um, And I I wasn't mad about it. Mm -hmm. And I kind of realized like I'm still making money so that I can go travel. So my solution to that was I will start the effort fund. Um, Okay. And I did. And I said, okay, this is how much I would need to go travel for a year enough to have like, oh crap money enough for plane tickets and rent and travel insurance. And I set that number. And I think for me, it was like $24,000 is all I would need to go just travel and not make a single cent for a year. So then I set out to start saving that amount, which I mean, I paid off between 50 and $60,000 in three years. So I was like, okay, I'll stick out my job for like, another year and start aggressively saving instead Mm -hmm. and rebuild my emergency fund. So that's like the really long story to the answer of, did I always have that carrot? That carrot changed a little bit, but again, that's kind of a testament to my deficit to being able to create success for myself is that I kind of continued to change my goals a little bit too. Sure. Yeah. And you, you always kept track of everything to understand where you were and you always paid extra. Because I think to another point that you had mentioned that uh, it, kind of what people do is just do the automatic payment every month. And then that takes 10 years or so. And mm-hmm. so you don't get out of that debt for a very long time unless you uh, actually start paying attention to your debt and, and paying extra every single month. So I think those are, those are a few important points. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I never... 
I think I said I was making 36K my first job. I was never a like, oh, I'm making six figures. Man, it must be so hard. <laughs> like I always had roommates and my, my income grew significantly. And especially with like working in sales, it was really nice. Like I, I recognized the privilege that I had in some areas, but I always had roommates. I always lived frugally. Um, you know, there there's the give and take of, I know that I can be whining and dining myself on the Italian countryside for less than what a night of going out in Providence costs. So yep. like, maybe I'll go out and have a few drinks after work if it's covered by the boss because he decided to invite everybody, like cool. <laughs> and then I'll see myself out or switch to water because I know that what I'm working towards is bigger than what's happening right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so traveling while you were on a budget still, because um, that's the smart way to do it. What are a few of your favorite quick tips for people? You already mentioned for those people that can control themselves with a credit card to yeah. use that and then pay it off every month and then use those points. What are a few other travel tips or travel hacks that you have for people? Yeah, so hostels are awesome. I feel like there's the movie hostel and people <laughs> think, oh my gosh, I would never share a bunk room with a bunch of strangers. Like what if they're smelly or noisy or whatever? And sure. Yeah, I've, I've been in party hostels. Um, look up, there's a million blogs dedicated to like how to pick the best hostel for you. But mm -hmm. even where I'm at right now would technically be considered a hostel, but it's a three-level house with three bedrooms to a bathroom and I have a bedroom to myself. So it's basically like living in an apartment, you know, sure. where you share a bathroom and I'm paying, Oh, I think it comes to like 24, $26 a night and it's super nice. And I'm meeting other people. Like I sure. travel solo. So that can get lonely. So that's another hack is again, I guess the same solution is to stay in hostels because sure. you'll meet really brilliant people from all over. And so we share a living room and we make meals together or we go out to dinner together. And that's just how it is. And if you stay in a party hostel, it's people who are, you know, I stayed in one in, um, not in Colombia, but I have friends who are staying in one in Colombia right now. And they're, sure. it's awesome because they're meeting like-minded people who want to go out and party in Medellin. So it's sure. awesome for them. So there's a million different ways to find cheap accommodations that are still conducive to your traveling goals. Even like Airbnbs can be cheap depending on where you're going. With flights, if you're not comfortable with using the point system, Google Flights has a feature. It's to the bottom right of where you select the dates and it's called uh, something like Explore Here or something like that. So say that you lived in Dallas. Mm -hmm. You click Explore first, put Dallas into the two, and it'll populate a map of where all the cheapest places to go and you can select dates or select like, oh, I'd like to take a week off in March. So you can say like one week within whatever month and it'll tell gotcha. you it's $200 round trip to go to Honduras. And then you start to think to yourself, wow, I have always wanted to scuba. That'd be really <laughs> cool. Point being with flights, use features like that and be really flexible. You know, if you say, I need to be in Boston the 6th through the 10th and I want to get in in the morning and something, something, then it's going to possibly be a lot more expensive because sure. you're not being flexible. So I flew like 300 and something, I think it was like 360 round trip when I was living in Rhode Island from Boston to Budapest with a connection in Zurich. Again, it was like 360 bucks and I paid cash or mm -hmm. like paid it on my credit card, but 
Um, I think I flew out on like a Tuesday night and came back the following Wednesday. Okay. So it was weird times, but also when nobody's flying, they're A, just filling seats, and B, there's a good chance nobody's going to be next to you. So I laid down across three seats on that super cheap (laughs) flight, got Swiss chocolates hand-delivered to me in coach. Were they fanning you too? (laughs) (laughs) It was great. I worked the system. But so point being, find cheap accommodations, find cheap flights. There's a ton of blogs dedicated to like tips and tricks on that out there, but those are just a couple of my favorites and I've made a lot of friends doing it. Sure. And so we're pretty close to the end of this podcast. And at the end, I'd like to have a couple personal questions, this or that questions and, and a few other yeah. ones just to, uh, get a little bit of the personality out of you. Not that that's been a struggle with this one. Uh, you've been a great <laughs> interviewing guest. <laughs> um, but do you have anything else to share with the listeners, whether it's regarding travel or paying down debt or planning for the future to do what you love? Do you have anything else for the listeners? Yeah, so <laughs> the world is not a scary place. Um, and we 100% grow outside of our comfort zones. So, I mean, think about walking into... Uh, for me, like one of the scary things that I would have done during college would be our favorite bar and it's no longer there. It was called Charlie Yokes and we would pregame and then we'd go to the bar and whatever. And for me, like a scary idea during college would have been walking into that bar sober to dance, like get up on the stage and like dance. Sure. Um, because it was so countercultural to the lifestyle that I was living at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I encourage people like, to think of the world in that way, right? If we're pushing ourselves outside of our comfort zones constantly, like I showed up in Morocco two weeks ago, not knowing a single soul. This is my first time in Africa. I wasn't even entirely sure what language they spoke here because it's really confusing between like French and Arabic and whatever. And it turns out that they don't really speak either of those all the time. So, (laughs) (laughs) but to just show up for myself and do that outside of my comfort zone is huge. And every time I do something that I never thought I could do, I prove to myself that I can do things that I never thought I could do. Mm-hmm. So the world is not scary. It's just an unknown to you right now. And I say that as a solo traveling woman, the world is a big, beautiful place that we all deserve to share. And you're doing yourself a disservice if you don't actively share it. Yeah. And I was going to specifically point that out because that is something that as I grew older, I realized that that's an entire human experience that I don't have. And that's being a female in the world. And so like, I've always heard so many people talk about traveling alone as a female or just walking through streets in America and making sure that you have somebody there with you and trying to avoid negative situations so that bad things don't happen. And as far as traveling goes, how many countries have you been to before? Including the U.S. is 51. 51. So you've yeah. been to uh, 51 countries and you've lived in hostels and I follow some of your, your blog stuff. You've hitchhiked many times before and you're yeah. still alive. <laughs> you're still here. Yeah. Yeah, like it, it's it, it's not what all the horror movies are uh, would make you believe, and still, from what I know, the people that do that, um, especially the women that do that, they have some safeguards, they have some things that they always look for, and and they 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 watch out for, but they they're still here. It's it's not as scary as of a world as people would make it out. So I'm I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, yeah, and I mean I think there's an important distinction to be made that like it's okay to be scared sometimes. 
Mm-hmm. And it's okay to make really smart decisions. <laughs> sure. Like the other, a couple of weeks ago, I was in Dallas and I was walking to uh, like the 7-Eleven or CVS or something. And some guy had gone past and like cat called and looked too long. Like every girl has a story sure. about this happening. And then as I approached the CVS, I saw that he was in the parking lot. And he was probably just like going about his business and like doing whatever. Mm-hmm. But instead of like, putting myself back in that situation, I chose to go to the CVS or the 7-Eleven across the street. And so Mm -hmm. that, I think that happened at home. Sure. It's just a matter of like, when I'm solo traveling, I am not overindulging in alcohol. I am Mm -hmm. not putting myself in very private situations with strangers. You know, like I'm not doing anything that I wouldn't do at home. Mm -hmm. I think I said that the right way. Um, So you know, like, again, people are people everywhere. There's going to be weirdos everywhere, but there's also going to be really, really great people everywhere. And those are the people that I'm meeting every single day. Yeah. That's awesome. That's a, that's a great message. And, and I'm glad we spoke about the things that we spoke about today, because I don't think we talk about them enough, but so on to the quick, this or that questions. Are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So early bird or night owl? Night owl. Okay. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Dogs or cats? Uh, as long as they're not mine, I'm cool with either. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I I've had that answer about before. Kids to make it fair. So. <laughs> as long as they're not mine, it's great. That's funny. Um, Star Wars or Star Trek? I don't care. <laughs> Mac or PC? PC. Pirates or ninjas? Ninjas. <laughs> Favorite mode of traveling, train, plane, automobile, boat, or your feet? Oh, I'm a sucker for a long walk. Okay. Yeah, feet. Um, Are there any wildlife or bug life that is an instant no for you? Like you just see it and you're like, nope, can't be here. I hate cows. Cows? Cows. They terrify me. the, the, The things that we get milk from. And that state yeah. comes from. And like specifically those. Like I've um, <laughs> been in places that have like, you know, the ones that you see in India pictures with like the big old hump and the whatever, or like sure. even living in Texas where there's the longhorns, like yeah. those didn't bother me so much as like the moo cows in Iowa. <laughs> Did you have a bad experience with cows before or is it so, <laughs> a thing? Not that I know of, but <laughs> I lived in a really, really, really small town in North Central Iowa when I was like just a baby and my parents told a story about how they were pushing me in a stroller at the county fair and they would push me into the cow barn and I would just start screaming and then they would like back me out real slow and I would just stop and be completely fine. Um, I do know that I've always kind of hated sudden loud noises and I think that cows being just like big and loud probably scared me as a kid and then that carried on is the only way that I can rationalize it. But like, I'll be in a room that has like cow print and I'll just like be uncomfortable until I realize like, Oh, I've identified that there's cows here. Um, Like I just hate them. I did not expect that. I expect like maybe spiders, (laughs) tarantula, something poisonous, a snake. No, like I've weird street food in South Asia. Like I had a pet snake for a while. Like I just hate cows. You know, I, that, that's, a, that's definitely a first for the podcast. I don't think anybody has said <laughs> the sentence, yeah, just really hate cows. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. Um, <laughs> so 
what destination was surprisingly enjoyable? Like which place exceeded your expectation? Oh, first thing that comes to mind is Istanbul. Okay, why? I don't think I knew what to expect going there, like at all. I had been living in Cyprus, which is half occupied by the Turkish. So I had yeah. spent time in the Turkish Republic of Northern Cyprus. Okay. And Istanbul was just like this big, incredible melting pot of like Europe meets Asia meets Africa because of where it is geographically. But sure. also like you'd hear church bells and then the Muslim called a prayer. And then you'd see people completely covered and you'd see people like belly dancing. There's like this whole nightclub area called uh, Taksim and there's hammam baths. Like it's just every culture seems to exist there so well together. Sure. And I loved that. That sounds amazing. That sounds like something you would see in a movie. Yeah, yeah, it was great. I loved it. Yeah, okay. So last question. Uh, what are your top three places or brands that have the best popcorn? Oh my gosh, I love popcorn so much. Um, <laughs> I was going to specify that if you didn't because yeah, that's like, kind of a weird question to just throw out there. <laughs> any fair that has kettle corn, like I even remember as a kid, like I would smell the kettle corn from like blocks away and just longingly look up at my parents and be like but can we get one so like literally any fair automatically has really great kettle corn and okay. yes i splurge for the big bag every time gotcha um i really like orville redenbacher's extra butter movie theater popcorn gotcha. yep. and i always keep a couple of bags like on me for homesick emergencies sure um honestly it's never that I run out of popcorn. It's that sometimes I can't find a microwave and that makes me even uh. more homesick. <laughs> and then, um, I don't even know. I just love popcorn. I'm going to leave about, it at those uh, two. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. How about Jiffy Pop? <laughs> Are you a Jiffy Pop fan? Jiffy Pop is good, but it, yeah. I gravitate towards the Orville. Sure. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I just like the flexibility of Jiffy Pop. Like you can make that anywhere as long as you have heat. Yeah, yeah, true, true. And like, I don't know, I'm not an elitist when it comes to store brand or not, but mm -hmm. like, forget about it when it comes to skinny pop or store brand. Like, the kernels don't pop all the way. Yeah. Like, yeah, and the, just the, give me the good stuff. The butter is not as consistent. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I'm, <laughs> I'm also a popcorn lover. Like, I, I'm very <laughs> dialed in and I've tried so many types that uh, I'm pretty sure we could have our own podcast about popcorn. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah. We totally could. It would be terrible though. Cause you'd hear all the crunching in the background. Oh yeah. Yeah. It'd be horrible. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, um, Sam, thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast today. I really sincerely enjoyed talking about it because it's, it's a topic that, uh, again, I don't think uh, we talk enough about. I know there are some, like there are HR professionals that push, people in their companies to use their PTO because they know it's good for them. And, and there are, there are people that try to push travel because it is uh, valuable to our society. But again, I, I'm, I'm very happy and I want to applaud you for what you're doing and what you've chosen to do and where you've gotten in your life. I think it's really awesome. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's really wild to be like, you know, I had always worried about making a career shift when I wasn't happy in my role and worried about like taking a step back and going back to entry level. And it's funny because I've realized during the course of our conversation that 
I'm now making less on my own than I was that first year out of school. Sure. And I've never been happier. (laughs) And I'm going to continue to build that and build my own company. But it's been a wild ride and I'm so excited to be able to share it. So yeah, thank you. That is amazing. And so if any of the listeners either want to drop you a note and uh, let you know that uh, they really appreciated your message or if they want to ask you a question, how can they, they do that? Yeah, for sure. So I am on Instagram is probably my most active social platform. And I am at 925.nomad. So 905 point. N-O-M-A-D. And 100% like, please drop me a note. Sometimes I feel like I'm spinning my wheels out here. That's another detriment to working for yourself. Because sometimes you just don't know if the message is hitting home. So I absolutely love when people reach out or have really great questions. I love helping people to make the world a little bit more accessible for them. And then to follow along a little bit more in depth, I have a blog that also on the website hosts my course that teaches people how to do what I do. Mm-hmm. And that is www.9to5nomad.co. Mm-hmm. Uh, very specifically .co, not .com. It'll take you to some dude's website uh, <laughs> that hasn't been active in like five years. And it's definitely not me. Gotcha. Awesome. Well, <laughs> Thank you so much for that. And I can say that on your Instagram, you are more active, just like you said, but you give out a lot of really awesome content in your stories as far as giving advice to people that want to travel. Yeah, Travel Tip Tuesday with Sam. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm there every Tuesday. Awesome. (laughs) Yeah, well, Sam, thank you again for being on the podcast. Appreciate it. Chris, this is awesome. Thank you for your time. So that is the podcast, ladies and gentlemen. I want to thank you all for listening. I really love this talk with Sam. Sam is living such an interesting life right now, and I think she provided tons of advice that can help anyone improve their own lives. And now, although many of us won't create a lifestyle similar to hers where we're traveling 100% of the time, I do think that we can still take more advice on dealing with our finances. I'm definitely going to echo a part of the interview where Sam talked about paying more than the minimum payments on your student loans and credit cards because that is such an important financial decision that really pays off in the long run. And so if you're curious or you think you want to ask Sam some questions or you want to contact her, feel free to visit her website. And I would personally recommend following her on Instagram if you're interested at all because she's very active there. And so if you're also interested in more content about being a better professional or a better leader, you can head over to chris-molina.com and that is C-H-R-I-S-M-O-L-I-N-A.com. Scroll to the bottom and click I want free leadership content sent straight to my inbox. And if you fill that out, then you'll sign up for my email list where I send free content straight to you. And that's uh, all about being a better professional, a better leader. And you can unsubscribe anytime if you find out that uh, it's not up your alley or you just don't have time to to read the emails. Uh, You can also find me on LinkedIn. There you'll be able to access all of the articles that I write on LinkedIn that are about leadership and motivation and self-help. And if you're interested in reading my first book, which is titled I'm in a Leadership Role, Now What? You can find it anywhere books are sold, but most people find it on Amazon um, or Barnes & Noble's. But you can even find it at your local library or local bookstores. So if you prefer giving your business to local bookstores, you can go up to them and ask them to order it and they can easily do that for you. And lastly, I'd like to ask just one favor. 
I would love to hear your feedback. You can leave a review about this podcast on whatever platform you're listening, or you can send me an email. And my email address is chris at chris-molina.com. So that's C-H-R-I-S at C-H-R-I-S-M-O-L-I-N-A.com. And if you've already read my book, I would love to hear your feedback and your reviews because uh, that is something that I really genuinely enjoy hearing about because I want to know what you guys liked about it and I would love to also hear what you guys maybe didn't like about it. So until next time, remember that it's never too early or too late to start your leadership journey or to start investing in yourself through professional development. Hope you guys have a great day.